Hey folks, this is part one of a special two-part series dedicated specifically to my journey of faith and deconstruction. If that's your journey you've been on, you'll appreciate this. And hey, I know this is a long one, but trust me, it'll be worth it. So stay to the end. All right, on with the show. You are listening to the Ebony Covering Black America Podcast Network, presented by Walmart. Testing one, two, three. Good evening. It is uh, Friday night, April 15th. Friday night. Just got paid. Just kidding. I actually did get paid today. Today was payday. Uh, Today was payday. Today was uh, tax day. Taxes were due. Uh, I paid some of my taxes online today. And it turns out, I just remembered uh, that tonight is also Good Friday. I've been anticipating this upcoming episode of the show. Uh, a show that has been following, as you know, my journey as a black man reconnecting with my blackness. And it stems from my book, Dungeons and Durags, which is largely a satirical memoir about that. But a good chunk of the book and a good uh, part of this podcast, maybe not a good part, but part of this podcast and telling my story is also the journey that I've had with regards to my Christian faith. Um, I think the most we've gotten into it was our Christmas episode, Happy Birthday, White Jesus. If you haven't heard it, check it out, episode five. But this upcoming episode is been it's always been planned for it to be the big one in in terms of the discussion of how my faith has evolved and progressed over the past six years and i i haven't known how to start this i haven't had an idea like I, i feel like because of the nature of the topic and how big a deal it is it needs to be something really grand and i don't know what it is and um it's kind of bothered me i want this episode and the second part to be something that really moves people sorry for that abrupt ending but i i I just can't do this you see for the past week i've been in this i don't know really weird space like i wasn't sure how i wanted to present this episode The crap I've been dealing with spiritually for the past six years is a huge part of my journey, and it's something I've been wanting to dive into in more detail on the show. But last night was Good Friday, and honestly, I just wasn't feeling it. I I had actually forgotten that it was Good Friday, which really kind of speaks to this journey that I've been on. I mean, in a bygone era, I would have been at church or some kind of Good Friday service. And tonight, I didn't know what to write or how to start. So I just got up and started talking into the microphone. I rambled on for damn near 20 minutes. So originally, I had the sense that this episode was going to be the sullen, pensive, and dare I say, even dour episode about how torn I was about my faith and where I currently stand in it. I was going to have a lot of moody organ music, and who knows, maybe even add the Dies Irae in the background. Uh, if you don't know what the Dies Irae is, I don't have time to explain, just Google it. But suffice to say, it's a piece of music used to connotate death and mourning. The entire opening score of The Shining is the Dies Irae. Yeah, so that was going to be the feel for this episode. But then I had a revelation. Who knows? Maybe it was God. But but I was listening to Damon Young's new podcast, Stuck, because, you know, I like to see what other black podcasters are doing. And he was interviewing comedian Roy Wood Jr. And they were talking about their respective faith journeys and church experiences. And it struck me, frack all this Debbie Downer stuff. I'm going to make this a joyful episode. We're going to have church up in here, y'all. Welcome to Dungeons and Durags, one black nerd's epic podcast about self-discovery, racial identity, and crisis of faith. 
And in this episode and the next, we're going to talk about Jesus and God and faith. And there might be a bonus episode or two about Noah's Ark movies and the Fermi Paradox. And my hope is that at the end of it all, if nothing else, you will be enlightened and entertained. Tell them who you are if you're living in the movement. You're gonna praise God. This is how we do it. It's my God, 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 it's my God. I just want to thank everyone for those show notes and uh Thanks for having a brother. Probably. <laughs> Look at my phone. Uh, here's, a Zoom, here's a Zoom link. We're on now. <laughs> That's me with my two co-stars, JD and Yolanda, and their good friend, Adu Black, who we like to affectionately call Senior Black Man. We invited Adu on this episode to share some of his personal experiences as a black man who goes to church. But as usual, before we all got started, we had to loosen up a bit and get in the mood. So for fun, I asked him some questions from uh, this new card game I got called Black Card Revoked. It's basically a bunch of cards with fun and funny questions about the black community that ostensibly, if you can't answer, you should have your black card revoked. Thinking, funny that this game is created by Hasbro. <laughs> I don't recall any black people on Hasbro's board. It's actually created by black people. Okay, go ahead, shoot. All right, here's the first one. So three of these questions are more opinion, but this first one is definitely an answer. Rombi always get coming up with these gotcha questions. Right. These aren't, I didn't are these make these questions up. based in fact or right, right. totally subjective? Who are you aiming these questions oh, for? Num Burl says. And are these questions <laughs> you have to say who the regional or for? universal? Right. I would say it's connected to the black American experience. I just have you know that Ron asked us if we knew who Philip Bailey was this morning. I almost had to reach through the internet and slap. Why did you have to bring that up? Like we did not <laughs> even. Hey. I'm putting you on the spot for asking that dumbass question. Have you heard of him? Yeah. Oh my God. Kid named Michael Jackson. Here's the first question. I hear he's quite a talent. You gotta say who the question's for. He's got quite a falsetto. How many characters did Martin Lawrence play in his self-titled sitcom? Oh, who cares for one? It's multiple choice. A, 10, B, 9, C, 8, D, 7. 10, 9, oh. 8 or 7. Look, we all know he played multiple seven. characters. I didn't count the characters. Yeah. And I don't really care. Your black card is revoked. Whatever. <laughs> I think Martin wrote that question himself. Right. That's, Do you actually think janky. people are counting right. the number of characters? I mean, who, we know he plays Shanene and at least two other right. characters. So, so he played the little boy, the little kid. He played the little boy. The he played the old janitor. The janitor. He played, yeah. So pick a number. 10, 9, seven. 8, or 7. I'm going to say seven. 8. I'm going to say 8 arbitrarily. Were you Whatever, saying, yeah? Seven. 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 Answer is ten. Yeah. Okay, who cares? Ooh, yeah. Some <laughs> white person wrote that to trip black yeah. people up. You're not black. You're, wah, not, black. Wah. You're not counting the characters that Martin played. <laughs> Are you kidding me? All right, this one feels like more I mean, of an like, opinion You think question. in black history... We're going to go back to the studio. Chip, we've just discovered they're not black. <laughs> wah, wah. Jelly beloved. We are gathered here for this thing called life. So for this upcoming episode, I'm doing a two-parter on my personal faith journey and how it's evolved over the past six years since Trump and the evangelicals supported him. It was actually evolving even before that, but it just that kind of exacerbated the situation. Right. And I've been charged it. <laughs> and and I'm just curious to ask. Um, you know, people who I know either go to church or who have some type of faith connection where, you know, if they are still believers, why they are, if they're not, why they're not, if they're struggling with it, what their particular struggles are. And then specifically for the black people I'm interviewing, their commentary on the role that the church in this country has had with black people, both historically and even today. Like, why should black people, of all people in this country, be Christians given the history? That's a great question. So, dude, I wanted to ask you. I got my hands raised when I praise the God of Israel. He called me a son when the world called me a criminal. Actually, I'm going to hold off on sharing a do's, JD's, or Yolanda's answer. I'm getting ahead of myself. Given the topic of the series, it seems only fitting to start with In the Beginning. 
I was about six or seven when my little brother and I attended a get to know Jesus seminar at Cross Creek Village Recreation Room in Playa del Rey, California. I just, I'm sure it wasn't a seminar per se. It was most likely some kind of local church indoctrination. I mean, introductory presentation about Jesus and Christianity. And we were so excited, we ran back to our apartment, told our mama what we learned, and knelt by our beds and said the prayer to end all prayers, the sinner's prayer. And we accepted Jesus into our hearts. All throughout my childhood and teen years, we did all the typical Christian things. Went to church on Sundays, after watching the claymation animated show Davy and Goliath, of course, about little Davy and his talking dog Goliath. We went to a black Baptist church in downtown Los Angeles. It was the church of the dearly departed and globally beloved pastor E.V. Hill. Imagine every stereotype you can think of when it comes to a black church. And this was that church. Father God, Lord Jesus, the creator of heaven and the earth, we come before you right now. No shade, it, it just was. Grannies and aunties wearing Easter colored dresses and Queen Elizabeth style hats in all kinds of shapes and sizes. As much as any teenager who really doesn't want to go to church, mm -hmm. um, the, well, I'll say I appreciate it, Pastor Hill. That's my brother, Brandon. I caught up with him because as a devout believer himself who went to Bible college, he would be a perfect person to have in this episode. I do remember when uh, some women caught the Holy Ghost. Yeah. And how truly frightful that was. I remember one woman caught the Holy Ghost and literally you could feel the whole bench crack <laughs> as it almost came up out of its screws. So yeah, and then they'd have to be carried out yeah, that used to freak me out. Oh, yeah, it was um, frightful, definitely. And they were definitely. long. Yeah, because we knew we were leaving the house at 8, and we wouldn't be getting home till after 3. <laughs> I mean, announcements were the length of some churches' services. He was not kidding about those announcements and how long they were. And don't even get me started about the sisters in the church catching the Holy Ghost. A bunch of women jumping up, dancing like they were possessed, fainting, and deacons coming to fan them off. I, I could literally feel the dread inside me build up as the sermon went on and the pastor got close to the point where I knew that people were going to start passing out. Even as an adult, when I attend a service that had people catching the Holy Ghost, I'd be on edge. During this time in our lives, only my mom, Brandon, and I would go to church. That's because my stepdad wouldn't be caught dead in a church. You see, my mom's married uh, my stepdad in a move that many Christians believe is a big no-no. They were what you call in the Christian community unequally yoked. I often wonder why such a devout Christian woman like my mom would marry an atheist like my stepdad. And not just any kind of atheist. My stepdad is an extremely intelligent man. He was chief of anesthesiology at the hospital where my mom was a nurse. There's probably your answer right there. That was probably it. No shade on my mom, but after a decade of living as a single mother, I'm sure she was tired and meeting a charming, funny, I have to believe rich doctor who accepted her kids had to be something worth investing in. Even if it was a person like my stepdad, a heathen. He was a light-skinned Jamaican man who had a healthy distrust of white people. He didn't hate them, he had white friends and all, but after serving in Vietnam and having other white enlisted men tell racist jokes around him because he was so light they didn't know he was black, I can understand why he had issues. And man, he would tease me about all the pictures of white girls that I had from high school. I distinctly remember one time my brother and I were watching the animated movie The Last Unicorn. And uh, there's a scene in the movie where the unicorn is turned into uh, this girl by the wizard in order to protect her from a giant red magical bull who's trying to get rid of all the unicorns on the planet. 
And when my stepdad saw that pure white anime princess on screen, he says to me, oh, is that, <laughs> oh, is that one of your girlfriends, Ronnie? Uh, I can laugh about it now, but at the time, you know, as a kid, it made me so angry. I was writing a letter to one of my friends at the time, and I was telling her how much I hated my stepdad. And coincidentally, she was white. All that to say, my stepdad was quite the character. During huge family gatherings when we'd sit down and say grace, he'd be the guy farting or telling silly jokes or something. Now, when I was a kid, I just thought he was callously disrespectful. He knew my mom was still a Christian and he'd tease her sometimes too. But later I came to understand that his issue wasn't so much with Christianity as it was with Christians. Every Christian he knew, for the most part, he felt were hypocritical. Pastors went at your money, uh, the ones he knew personally said and did things that didn't seem Christ-like. The one Christian he truly respected was his sister, Aunt Grace. And at her memorial service last fall, he shared how one of the things he loved about his sister was that she was a woman who truly lived what she believed. Aunt Grace, wow, she, she was a special lady. Every now and then, you meet people who you know in your core embody what it must truly mean to be a follower of Christ. They are the equivalent of modern day saints. The way they love on people or how they serve or the way they can instill a profound sense of peace and self-esteem in anybody. Another person in my life that is like that is my ex-wife's uncle, Uncle Arvin. He's a pastor in Saratoga, California, and he's a bedrock of the community. He was the man who married us. He speaks with the calm, gentle cadence of a mystic. He was the kind of man that no matter what you did, he would make you feel loved and listened to. I have a lot of anger at how those in the church, particularly Christian counselors that we met with, counseled my ex and I during the dire times of our marriage. I would even say bordered on malpractice. Rarely in a marriage breakup is anyone 100% innocent, but I do feel like I bear the brunt of weight that went down in our breakdown. Out of deference for my ex's privacy, I won't go into all the details. I never cheated on her or anything or stole any money, but I told a lot of half-truths about things, and in other areas, I broke promises that I had made. That created an air of distrust, which is why I think now I feel so strongly about radical candor and honesty. But when we were going through the worst of it, it was Uncle Arvin that made me feel seen and loved. He didn't excuse any of the things that I did, but he also reminded me of the kind of man and father that I really was. He had this way of seeing the good in you, especially when you couldn't see it in yourself. And what is more Christ-like than that? In a world where so many Christians want to judge and point fingers, Arvin's loving voice and candor made you want to be a better person. Imagine what a world this would be like if Christians were more like Uncle Arvin and Aunt Grace. I wanted to share that story because honestly, a lot of the anger I have is related to how my marriage was handled. Man, it's no surprise that how the church handles topics like love, marriage, divorce, intimacy, sex, and sexual identity is at the core of so many issues that people have with Christianity. When we come back from the break, we'll touch on an aspect of the Christian faith that has brought so much anger and brokenness, not only to me, but literally millions of people. You may have heard the term purity culture. If you haven't, Google it, and you will have a deluge of blog posts, articles, and videos about people who have been so devastated by this culture that largely started in the 90s. It was a strict fundamentalist ideology that said women should dress a certain way so as not to make their Christian brothers stumble. Teen and college girls would get purity rings, which were like engagement rings to Jesus. Men should honor their sisters in Christ and refrain from any kind of sexual encounters until marriage. In some cases, even holding off on kissing. And the poster child for the purity culture movement was this man. We shouldn't just 
not have sex, we should stop dating because dating is leading to us uh, making these mistakes. That's Josh Harris. And at the age of 21, he wrote the book, How I Kissed Dating Goodbye. It was a blueprint for how a Christian couple should court one another. This thing sold over 1.2 million copies. He was a 21-year-old kid that was homeschooled his entire life and had only ever been in one relationship. Now, how the hell does a 21-year-old write a book that sells over a million copies and become a superstar? Well, because he was a Christian, and Christians eat that shit up. This is him from an Axios interview sharing about it years later when he had renounced the book and started basically a forgive me tour. Some people were angry. A lot of people were angry, understandably. Why understandably? Because I was a leader and a spokesman and I called people to live in very particular ways, to sacrifice in very particular ways. And so for me to change in my thinking, feels like a betrayal to them. As many people who have profound religious or spiritual life experiences that affected millions of people tend to do, he gave a TED Talk. And this is what he shared. And then one day on Twitter, of all places, this woman wrote me and she said, your book was used against me like a weapon. And I almost didn't answer her because I was afraid she would lash out at me. But on this particular day, I just answered and said, I'm so sorry. Such a, a simple human interaction. And that interaction led to a conversation. And that conversation led to a friendship. And that friendship changed me. She said something to me that I'll never forget. She told me that that back and forth on Twitter was the first time that a religious leader had ever acknowledged getting something wrong and never apologized to her. And I heard that and I just thought, there's something really unhealthy about this. That led me to open up my website and invite people to share their stories of the effect my book had had. And we just published them uncensored on the website. Some of those were stories of people having a positive experience, but others were heart-wrenching. The reason so many people are still upset and hurt at Josh is because of how devastating and traumatizing the church can be to those who don't follow a certain way of life when it comes to sex and sexuality. From the way you dress to who you date is all under a watchful eye. An eye that is often doing the exact same thing they're telling you not to do. Whether it's the Jimmy Swaggerts of the world, or rock star pastors like Carl Lentz of Hillsong, New York, who stepped down a couple of years ago after stepping out on his wife. This was a dude who years earlier as a youth pastor shamed a young couple and made them break up when they admitted they had had premarital sex. That was a story revealed in the recent Discovery Plus documentary about the fall of Hillsong, one of the largest and most influential churches in the world. And just recently, in the past few weeks, the senior pastor of Hillsong stepped down largely due to sexual impropriety accusations. It's just a long litany of uh, pastoral leaders, religious leaders who have been either caught or who have been led by the spirit to emit these horrible crimes in uh, both spiritual and sexual abuses. So when you take that and what you see happening uh, in evangelical America and politics and you know, don't even get me started on what's been going down in the Catholic Church or what has gone down over the years. Is there any confusion as to why people like myself have been going through these radical deconstruction phases? But it doesn't just stop there. There's something else that has been nagging at me with regards to the church. One of the questions that has really been up my craw with respect to Christianity, especially here in America, is why, given the amount of racism in the church, both historically and even today, do so many black people still cling to it? 
And that is one of the reasons why I not only talked to my brother, but why we invited Adu Black to come on the show. And unless you're wondering, yes, Black is really his last name. And trust me, it's apropos. Adu is like your resident black card checker. I originally met him back on the set of my short film, Just Friends. If you recall, I talked about that back in episode 11. If I remember correctly, I believe he was the boom operator, and he was one of the fellows on set keeping us all in stitches. He's gone on to do work in the animation world and other aspects of the entertainment community. But for this episode, I wanted to know if he goes to church, and if so, why? And there's where we pick up from what I shared at the top of the episode. Are you a believer? Yes, I am. And if so, why? Yeah. My faith was never tied to Trump or... Mm any politician or anything like that. So it never affected how I felt, even in college, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> I mean, people have, you know, it's kind of like when you, you kind of have your, your awakening of, of who mm-hmm. you are and kind of, I mean, right. cause you're, you're, you're interacting with different points of view, different opinions and whatnot. So yeah, you start to question the things you kind of grew up with by then, you know, you can kind of do what you want to do. You know, I was made to go to church when I was younger, mm-hmm. and I hated it, probably mm-hmm. like any kid or teenager. So I'd say by the time I was, you know, 15, 16, you know, I, I started to figure out ways to get out of it. And then, like, my grandparents just stopped making me go because, you know, they just knew they couldn't force me. I mean, but it always was kind of with me. Mm-hmm. And again, my faith, my belief was never based on what was happening with other people. It was just something that was within me. For me, I mean, I was allowed to kind of come to it in my own way. Hmm. So I never felt like force mm-hmm. other than when I was younger. It was more like it was instilled in me as a kid. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, all right, you it's up to you now whether hmm. you want to continue on that path or if you want to follow another path so i never felt like it was something that was forced upon me i was allowed to just come to it on my own yeah Yeah. and so that's why i never feel like oh i have to make my decisions based on what's happening in the country what's happening in the world what other people may believe what Mm -hmm. you know even my friends or family may believe because it's like my belief is already strong within me and I'm comfortable with it. So, yeah, it's not based on anything other than what I choose. Wouldn't, would you say, though, like what you believe specifically, though, would it not be formed by like what you learned from your pastor? Like how you know, like because like, I, be, well, I mean, I've had <laughs> I've had several different pastors mm-hmm. in my life, but I never just take the word of the pastor, hmm. you know, as Pardon the pun, gospel. Right. I mean, it's like my pastor, like the church I go to now, he may say some stuff that I totally disagree with or that, Mm. I mean, I question any human because it's Mm. like none of us are are gods. None of us are deities. Mm -hmm. So I never like just take any human for their word. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've always, not always, but I would say in the last 10 years, 10 to 15 years, I look at the Bible as a textbook mm-hmm. and as something to learn from. And it's not like I question the word of God or Jesus, but I use it as a guide. Mm. And so I don't just necessarily take what a pastor may say in church is like, oh, that's the, the end all be all. You know, I, I study the Bible as a textbook and, and try to learn from it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I don't know everything. And I may not even understand what I'm reading half the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll take what, you know, my pastor says as some guidance. But, you know, God gave me a brain too to figure this mm-hmm. stuff out. Mm-hmm. So I don't just take, you know, someone's word for it. I pray about stuff, you know, and, and ask God for guidance and understanding. And, you know, hopefully it comes to me. And, you know, if it doesn't, it's like I'm not going to. You know, it's not like the end of the world that I don't get something right now, right Right. then. It's an interesting question about if and why black people should follow. Um, I'm assuming we're speaking specifically about Christianity. Mm -hmm. I mean, the 
Bible that everyone follows is uh, which version is it? The King, King, James. King James. King James version of the Bible is what most people are following. That has a whole history behind it as well. Well, I, um, let me stop you there. I don't, the King James version isn't the version that I would say most people follow. No church I went to. Really? What version did they follow? I think most people nowadays, I would say like the New International Version, NIV, is one of the most popular. Uh, In black Uh, churches? I've never heard of it. I've never. I I think think in black churches they follow King King James. James. I think not universally, but I think a lot of churches, black, white, whatever, have updated to the the NIV version. Yeah, Yeah. it's been a while since I've been to church. you see it noted or or referenced a lot, whether yeah. you're reading a Bible or what would some you religious say was text. the timing of that updating? When that happened? Yeah. Probably fifteen or so years ago. That's what So I'd I'm say. talking historically right now and I'm kind of Yeah, yeah, of course. Oh, I yeah. think people probably grew up our generation and before yes, and our parents. I never yes. heard what you're talking about. People... I was with King James. I didn't know there was some new There's fan lots of it. Yeah. I would yeah. say NIV, the ESV um, I think are two of the right King James. Though we stole out the hotel rooms when we <laughs> so. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. You know, I would say you know mid you know twentieth. There's a history behind century. that version that mm-hmm. ties into. Unfortunately, like with any other thing, mm-hmm. where people can take advantage, use societal norms and systems to prop up the inequities in society there's there's a tie to that with the king james version so on and so forth and that version of the bible so it's interesting if you date back to the history in our country and you go back to slavery and Mm -hmm. the observance of religion first off our ancestors who arrived on these shores were not christ followers they were given the word by their captors it was forced upon it was them. Forced upon it was them. Forced. Yes. So, so I have an interesting that. commentary on that. Go ahead. Okay, that's great. But I also feel like everybody needs mm-hmm. some faith-based grounding, whether that's based in Christianity, Buddhism, you know, whatever other religion, something to understand that you exist in a world and a universe that is bigger than yourself. And so our people, especially with the great challenges they had to face, found something to latch onto. And I think at least being able to find a faith thing to ground themselves was very important over the course of our history. Hmm. And I think that's a reason to be tied to Christianity and to have some faith and to say, even though I am having this experience in my life, my life has more a bigger meaning than what is happening to me. Uh, when I was talking to my brother today, he went to movie Bi- Moody Bible College, and you know he studied. He has studied a lot, and he actually years ago converted to Eastern Orthodoxy. And one of the things he was sharing with me today, with regards to the when people bring up the issue, well, why should Black people in America continue to follow Christianity? His answer to that is he doesn't tie American Christianity to black people because a lot of the early church fathers came out of East Africa and Ethiopia and the Middle East. And if you go and read the early church fathers, a lot of them are African. After the break, we'll hear what my brother shared about the early church fathers. And then JD, Yolanda, and I get into another one of our patented debates. Stay tuned. immediately have problems with the Western Roman Church because of problems with the Crusades. That's my brother Brandon again. He studied at Moody's Bible College and he shared with me how he ended up, for lack of a better word, converting to an Eastern Orthodox belief. Most of the professing Christian church historically did not believe that the, the Patriarch of Rome or the Pope had final say you know they believe he was uh the first among equals and yet still everyone 
had as much of a say as the Pope. So I have problems with their understanding of the Pope. I have problems historically mm-hmm. with the Crusades. And I have problems with Augustine's theology, which I think much of the psychological, emotional damage that a lot of people experience because of how Christianity is, how the faith is practiced in the West, all stems from Augustine. Augustine, put it simple, he's the one that really gave an understanding of original sin and that man has a, uh, a permanent moral stain that came as a result of Adam and that because of that moral stain, he doesn't have free will. Because he, he doesn't have real, he's flawed, and there's an aspect of, of him that he's evil. So out of that belief, most of the Western churches, what you, you, you place yourself in a situation where the theology promotes an unhealthy psychology and understanding of oneself. And then historically, um, one has to ask, where was you know, where was the church prior to Martin Luther? Did Christian communities see the church primarily as a spiritual entity and and, and not so a, a historical rally, reality that can be seen in communities around the world? So ultimately what that enabled me to do was to realize that everything we've seen the past four years with, with Trump and, and evangelical communities, this is all cultural and political that's not rooted in um, the faith. Much of what I experienced as a Protestant, much of what I saw in Protestant evangelicalism, and much of what is believed was cultural, mm-hmm. political, and it wasn't theologically sound. Mm-hmm. But one looks at what the church, what the earliest church uh, fathers wrote. So because of that, I realized that my faith wasn't connected to the craziness I saw in America. And I was able to separate the two so that I could still profess my faith knowing that it had no connection. It Hmm. was not the cause of what I'm seeing. I get into an interesting conversation with someone about how Christianity was the white man's religion. Well, myself, because I'd already left the, the Protestant gate, I could see, oh, wait a minute, you mean the Middle East, Northern Africa, Eastern Africa, these were the strongholds of the church prior to Europe, and that much of the church fathers were black, you know? So that whole conversation of Christianity was the white man's religion, I can enter that conversation. However, I realize that it doesn't have substance when you historically look at the church. Let's hop back into my conversation with JD, Yolanda, and Nadu. The universe is so amazing. And there are things that, that turn into spooky science. Like, you know, scientists say they can't even figure out black holes because with the formulas and things that they know, the way we understand physics breaks down. That's JD sharing his answer to the question of what he thinks happens after we die. What we're coming to find out about the universe to me is just as mysterious and crazy as thinking about try, is trying to understand God. Mm-hmm. If there is a God, trying to understand that would be as perplexing as trying to understand the universe. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't even think of all, I mean, I was thinking, oh my God, all the stars in the Milky Way. And that's nothing compared to all the galaxies in the universe, which, have, you know, we're just a little average galaxy. Come on, buddy. You're going to tell me there ain't no life or whatever. It just, it, you know, it just gets crazy. So, but going back to like the entanglement, the quantum entanglement, I think there are these weird, um, well, this unknown energy that we mm-hmm. can't even quantify or understand yet that's out there so maybe we tap into that when we die or maybe we just die maybe we're just part of the circle of life and we, you know we go back to stardust and that's what mm-hmm. it is one of the issues that he and yolanda have with modern day christians is those who don't believe in science truth be told there are lots of critics of christianity because of its precarious relationship with science and it's no surprise lots of christians straight up doubt science 
I'm not talking about basic science, like whether or not an iPhone exists or electricity exists. But, you know, as J.D. was uh, so apt to point in a conversation we had, uh, any kind of science that challenges the faith of a believer. Some sects of Christianity refuse to go to doctors or get hospital care because they rely on God's healing. Large swaths of believers think the world is only a few thousand years old and that evolution didn't happen. How large those swaths are was at the heart of a recent debate J.D., Yolanda, and I had that started with all things a fun movie pitch. I'm surprised no one's made a movie about this. Yolanda, wow. make a note because I think you and J.D. should like... I am making a note. Imagine if we found definitive evidence for like Noah's Ark. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, there was or, this small film called Raiders of the Lost Ark that... Uh, <laughs> Well, the Ark is that's a different Ark. That's the Ark of Covenant. That's not Noah's Ark. So for, so oh, Noah's Ark. I'm sorry. There was a movie made about Noah's Ark. There was. It was came out in the '70s. Was, I remember. Do you remember no, that? No, there was one that came out. Keep like, going. I want to hear the idea. Oh, you're terrible. You're the, well, the one in the '70s was terrible too. It was okay, with Russell Crowe. They find the Noah's yeah. Ark and no, the one you're talking about was a movie about Noah's Ark. I'm talking about a movie that would examine. What if in today's day and age we found right definitive uncontrovertible mm-hmm. evidence that there was a noah's ark what kind of impact would that have on the world that that's a great a real... premise and uh, let me add to it wait are you done ron yeah that's essentially the premise like because so many religions Why? Are... who cares because if what? because if we, because if you found because right now we're at a stage where everything that we believe about religion is based on faith like there is yeah. no there's nothing that says this absolutely happened. And one of yeah. the big things was Noah's Ark. Yeah. So I'm saying if there's a way you could realistically depict a Noah's Ark and it being found. What would that actually prove? Or well, what would that prove? Yeah. yeah. It's well, like finding the Shroud of Turin or finding, you know, actually saying but, this is So you're saying proof. it would prove that there was a flood that wiped it, it, out arc. all life it, on the earth? Yes, that's the that's the premise of the movie. You found something that proved that what there was something. That, that but you know, there's religions before prove? Christianity that have a story about a great flood. Yes, I do you know, know that's that. not the first time I show you. Okay, I so absolutely... I'm just saying it's not unique. It's just like no, no. But, but that's my point. If you found because the story of the ark and the flood, yes, it is seen in other religions too. I'm not saying that that would prove the prove Christianity. It would prove that all these religions were pointing to this thing that a lot of people think is myth. And now you found something that proved it wasn't enough. All right, well, I'm going to jack this premise up. Listen to this. I say you start the movie out uh-huh. where they find a fallen UFO ship that crashes in the mountains at Arafat. And then they go up to the Mount Arafat, and lo and behold, they find the ark next to UFO spaceship. Then what? I like that premise better. Then what? Because now you're like, oh, shit. UFOs get... exist, and we found the ark. No, it's because you have the two competing theories about the world. Your your whole premise is like, oh, look what we found. We found the ark. It said Noah was here. There's some graffiti that says Noah lived here. Whatever. Okay. I mean, okay, so that's your proof. But guess where you found it? In the middle of a UFO crash, which proves that's... beyond a doubt the world's not. Now it, that's a movie. You start getting, oh, the Earth is not alone. We're not alone. We're, there's in this, and the UFO civilization is way more older than six thousand years. They didn't have dinosaurs. Cavemen weren't, weren't riding on dinosaurs back six thousand years ago. It just fucks up all that I whole mean, paradigm. I mean, just proving that Noah existed. Yeah, so what? Like, okay. That isn't the fact that you don't get the impact that that would have. If you could definitively, no, no, no. I, did, I think UFOs would have a much bigger impact. Here's the thing. I, I'm not saying, I'm not the saying thing. there's too finish. many people who one buy is into religious yeah. principles, and so it's like, yes, of course. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if they found Noah's Ark. I wouldn't be surprised by that. I think Christians all, almost all. I, I think well, I haven't said all. I think a lot of Christians do believe in Noah's Ark. Yeah. I believe that that happened. Here's I know, the but there's no I proof that there was a Noah's Ark. I think Noah's Ark probably actually happened. But, but I don't know if Ron, it was every single like, animal was on the thing. Ron, by saying the there's no proof. If somebody found that Ark, yeah. I'd be like, okay, yeah, what, okay. What it wouldn't the, change is, one thing it wouldn't change anything. about what I believe right now. one thing. What is uh, the number one? Uh-huh. What is the primary thing about religion? It's a uh, one-word answer. God. It starts with an F. Faith. Faith. Yes. So faith doesn't require proof. Correct. You're right. That's an excellent point, Adu. It's, but here's the thing, though. You're right. Faith does not require proof. But if you had proof of the thing you had faith in, it would 
have a dramatic impact. No, that's for the other people. Ron, we have like the shroud of turn. That proves like. A lot of people believe the shot of turn is Jesus, like the, the thing of Jesus. That's he, much more closer than the, the ark. Here's the yeah. problem. That's there today that we can analyze and study. Here's and, the problem with the shot of turn. A lot of people think it's not legitimate. But wouldn't you find that same thing if you have, if somebody found no, the ark, wouldn't that the kick point, up the same no, no. problems? This is a movie. We can make it. My I point, know. So the shot of turn could be like, we figured out this let really is the shot of turn. Jesus was buried in this. Let me finish. The Shroud yeah. of Turin is a real thing that a lot of people don't think is legitimate. Even if you look at the image that it has, it, it portrays an image that would not be what Jesus looked like. That's not white right. Jesus. It's not white Jesus. It's not white Jesus. <laughs> is that what you're it's saying? Peter O'Toole wrapped up. It doesn't Peter look O'Toole like right. white Jesus. It looks so like it's white, not Jesus. You know what I'm saying? The Shroud of Turin kind of looks like white Jesus. If you look at it, right? It has the long. It has whatever. a very European. Like, exactly. Yeah, so a lot of people don't even believe it. Look. Right. What I'm saying is like your UFO thing. Lots of people believe in UFOs, but we don't have any definitive proof that there were UFOs that people have visited this planet. That right. we know of. That we we're know. We're getting closer. We're getting, we're getting very closer. closer. Yeah. So the premise for this story or the UFO story, we get definitive proof where it's incontrovertible. It's empirical. You can't, you know, okay. you can't. That I still don't know what that means for me. Because what it means is. A lot of people don't believe in the Bible because they think everything in the Bible is a myth. And so if but you found, okay. so, so if you, yeah, found, yeah, let but, me finish, but, let me finish. Okay. So if you're able to find one thing in the Bible that's incontrovertible, it's true, then it's like, oh, for all these years. It makes the so, whole rest of the Bible true. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Well, what but is your it point? makes that one thing. My point is. It's a score for the Christian. <laughs> Or anyone who believes in a God. But, or but there are a number of things in the Bible that are true, that are provable. There are cities that exist that we, that, oh, yeah. this is that city. Right, this but, is, I mean, so but those cities aren't tied to miracles. Hmm. But, why, but is the, all, all I'll just Some say is this. Because the, yeah. the Bible is allegorical, some dude could have been. Some, but no, but you could think have been, it's allegorical. Some no, people no, no. think it's real. Right, right. Some people think it's fact that it came yeah. out of physics and yeah, that somebody tricked it. Yeah, whales, but, mouth, yeah, somebody died. Like, yeah, somebody went a big old whale and you know and they like. <laughs> technically, you know, it wasn't a whale's mouth. It well, was I know. Just, technically, it wasn't. But people say that it, it's like yeah. It was a big. fish. I understand what it technically was. Yeah, it was a big fish, but that gets but that got converted from from the Greek Bible to the King James version. It's a whale. Niggas thought it was a big old whale. That's not allegory at all. Yeah, that's not allegory. That's not allegory. My point is that to, yeah, to no, what I do was saying, the Bible can be great in terms of an allegorical text to help right. you when you're faced with situations, how to navigate that through with your life and, and the way to kind of take a, a, a elevated examination of, of the trials and tribulations or things right. you face. So going along with that being allegorical. It wouldn't make a difference to me if they found Noah's Ark on Mount Arafat, which is like one of the highest mountains over in, in Egypt or, or in, in Israel, where, where uh, supposedly right. the Ark is supposed to be. And, and back in the 70s, they did have a movie like that where they said, we found conclusive evidence that there's this big giant Ark, a wooden ship, that couldn't possibly have gotten there by itself because it's way up high in this mountain and the type of wood hasn't grown there for thousands of years. And So they said they found an Ark. And... But but it still doesn't. I mean, it, there could have been. There could they could find fifteen arcs. Maybe there's a whole mm -hmm. bunch of people like Noah. So, oh shit, a, a flood's coming. Now get everybody in. A, everybody get in the boat. You know, somebody like, call the ark builder. Right, <laughs> right. You know, there could be three or four arcs. Who knows? Uh, I don't know. But if you're saying this started months. all of mankind again, because uh, because Noah's family start. Everybody else got killed on the planet. It, uh, uh, God was taking them all again, and just mm -hmm. had Noah live so that he could re repopulate the earth. I, that, that just gets more ridiculous every time it comes out my mouth. It just, you I know. know. We don't need to go down that. I just said it was a yeah. movie idea. You got something That's why I put the aliens into it because then it's like the people who are zealots about I would just make looking at the Bible movie. as, as That's a movie. The, more than the gospel, but fact. Then, mm -hmm. then that their fact's going to get challenged because it was found. <laughs> you know, the aliens come down. Oh, thank you for helping save me. I almost died if you didn't come up here. And by the way, here's Noah's Ark. You know, here's the arc you speak of. That would just fuck everybody up. Because then you got the scientists winning mm -hmm. and, the, and, and the, the Christian people winning. And the Christian people will be all jacked, too, because they have to admit Because to, to me, aliens. it would be way more detrimental if the government came out and said, this is Bjergsekurg. 
He's from the planet, you know, he's from Alpha Centauri, and aliens do exist. He's our new but buddy, what whatever. It, people what will it, freak out. Because it, it would challenge everything no, that a lot no. of people have about religion. It would. Uh, well, no, because there are millions of Christians who do not believe that believing in God and Christianity is mutually exclusive to believing in... A lot, a, Ron. A lot? A lot. Millions, and here's and I have proof. But I would, it, I would have let, more. Let me, I would let me su- finish. Submit that. Not the majority. Not the majority. I would. Not the majority. Maybe. First of all, you're probably thinking American Christianity. Majority. No. Period. 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 You have, not the majority of Christians. First of all, you have nothing to base that on. You're just going off. Neither do you. you. Neither do you. Wait, I haven't done wait. research. So are you yes. refuting what I'm saying? Yes. Are you refuting what I'm saying? If you let me finish, I'll let you, you know refute. what. So you think the majority of Christians <laughs> believe that there could be aliens? Do you believe the majority of Christians believe there could be aliens? Take a poll. Take a poll. This is what I believe. Yes or no? No. I'm telling you. Do you believe the majority of Christians believe there could be aliens? I'm telling you what I believe. Yes or no? He's you can't answer you it yes believes. or no. I don't know what the majority of Christians believe. Okay. But what I can tell you is a majority of Christians in the world are not Western American Christians. The majority okay. of Christians in the world are in Europe, East Africa, like kind of stuff Got my it. brother's talking about. They would tell you that there's nothing in the Bible that that discounts the possibility of life someplace else. Secondly, in this country, one of the foremost apologetic apologists was C.S. Lewis. Yep. C.S. Lewis specifically, he wrote a bunch of science fiction stuff. Yep. And, and I think it was in Mere Christianity, one of the most revered, respected apologetic books in American Christianity. He specifically says there's nothing in Christian faith that is mutually exclusive to there being life on other planets. Like the... Believing in the life and death resurrection of Christ may be what's required for salvation here on earth, but that doesn't mean that on another planet, Jesus hasn't gone somewhere and he's done something for them there. Okay, let me rephrase. Do you think the majority of American Christians Mm -hmm. believe Mm -hmm. that there's possibility of life outside of earth? I would say yes, because I think the majority... Because I believe the majority of American Christians are cultural Christians only. And I think majority of Americans believe in the... I think the majority of Americans in general are Christian. And I think, I think that majority believes I in the possibility of life. I don't, I don't, think I don't know that. I don't think that the majority of people are Christians. I don't think that's in this true. Country? Getting very, yeah, I think we're getting very close. Or to maybe not a majority. I, I think I heard that it wasn't a majority anymore. Actually. I think we got to the point where a majority of people are not Christian. That's possible. And I think because you have all kinds of different faiths. The bulk of those yeah. Christians are people who don't believe in science. Yeah. The mask is a hoax. Vaccines don't work. Science, I, your science and, and left wing agenda. I think, oh, the aliens I, are some left wing agenda now. You want to try to change me from thinking about I what think, I got to think about? I think you're reacting to what you see in social media yeah, yeah, and on television. I am. I am. All right. So Rick Schroeder told me there's a war coming. Gotta get the truckers together. We got I mean I'm I'm going off where I'm seeing from the right wing. I saw that video. Yeah, I'm not getting it from Rachel Maddow. I'm not getting this from Rachel Maddow or Chris Hayes. I'm getting it from the Tucker Carlson. Hey, and people I, like maybe, that. maybe, but I'm watching here's what I watch. Yeah. I watch voting trends. Mm-hmm. And I'm going off of voting trends. And what I know about mm. the study. Mm-hmm. And the exit polling of people Excuse who me. vote mm-hmm. and how those people line up and what they're believing and all that stuff. Yeah. I'm not going off of, oh, who has the Boop. trending hashtag. Let me, let me throw but in what do you see in that suggests that they wouldn't believe in the possibility of life on another planet? Because the majority of voting Christians mm-hmm. trend from a, a, a statistical, the mm-hmm. majority of voting do not believe in the scientific situation. I guess the problem I have with what you're saying is I don't disagree with you that there are lots of Christians who doubt aspects science. of science. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. But my only counter to that is... Unless it comes with vaccines. Let me finish. Me, there are lots of wait. Christians... <laughs> There are lots of Christians who do. As someone who has been immersed in the Christian culture in terms of reading books, 
reading and watching stuff from organizations like BioLogos, listening to podcasts like Unbelievable, who has for over 10 years has had conversations between believers and non-believers and between Christians who believe in science and those who don't. I know there is a healthy percentage of those in the Christian community who absolutely affirm science. Some of the greatest scientists in the world have been Christian. Yep, that's true. And so I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. So all I'm saying is I don't disagree with you that there's a large percentage of Christians who are wacko, don't believe in science. I think there's uh, also not a majority. I don't think it's a majority either do. way. I mean, I think Ron, the, I won't subject you to the rest of the conversation because this whole thing lasted like. I don't know, like 40 minutes. It's crazy. Anyway, uh, it finally ended like this. I appreciate everything you shared. And I I agree with you. I think there are millions, a whole lot of Christians believe exactly what you think. And I think also too, Ron, like, and I, I'm not I saying this to I've never dish. disagree with that. I'm not saying this to dish. I just don't think they're the majority. I'm not saying it to discount your point because mm-hmm. we don't know because we don't have the statistics yeah. or whatever. Right. But... You made a great point in mm-hmm. your last episode of the show mm-hmm. about how, in the last couple of episodes, about how your experience is skewed. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like your experience with Christianity is also skewed. Totally. Because you have not had a black Christian existence. You've yeah. been going to all these white Christian churches that's true i totally agree. You have a completely different experience totally See, that different. Cr- white christian church and not only that the white christian churches you're going to are mm. not like most white christian churches in this thank country you. thank you it's very different that's why i said bubble i said you're hip christian bubble and I, which is great i wish all christian was like that but it's right. not i'm just dealing with the reality like look there's some people that believe that niggas don't belong on a country club or they're subservient <laughs> right. i'm just saying that's why we they're have doing a laws friend. we can't let them vote because if we let the, the if we let the lesser subhumans vote they're gonna put in things or, or, or that shouldn't be there the so we gotta get behind trump and who and, ended up breaking up with someone he wanted to get married with because she belonged to a church who didn't allow black people who what Remember when was dating that uh, Mormon chick? Oh, right. Chick? Yeah, Mormon, yeah. Oh, wow. They wanted yeah. to get married, and it ended up falling apart because the Mormon's like, we don't allow niggas up in here. <laughs> but no, no, no. It was because he had to convert. Yes, but yeah. I know. But that was all part of it. There was yeah. all I know, like but I mean, well, they only let they only let pastors be or black pastors join or be in the Mormon faith in the 70s, late 70s. So, I mean, there, there, I there's think- that. I think what we can all agree is that none of us have the statistics to say that there's a majority of anything. That's really my main point. Like, we can agree. We can agree to say agree. that. I can't, and, I can't give right, you the evidence. Right. And I think a lot of our experiences are anecdotal. JD yes. said that. Like, you talk about your aunt and everything. Like, yeah. Mine is based on my white, the white churches I've gone to, which I totally agree. And so I think the question is, which movie idea is better? The Ark? <laughs> right. Getting back to where we really started. This is all being about the movie idea. <laughs> He's got a pitch on Monday, folks. He's got a pitch on Monday. We got a meeting at Warner Brothers this Monday. Right. <laughs> Man, I do love those two. And as frustrating those conversations can get sometimes, I think they're at the heart of what makes our friendship special. But I had a revelation, no pun intended, while going back and listening to this conversation in preparation for this episode. This argument was like a microcosm of the greater discourse that happens in this country when it comes to religion and politics. We all get to a point where we start talking louder, or in my case, longer, just so that we can prove our point. We stop really listening to one another and instead are just waiting to get tagged back in so we can deliver our proverbial WrestleMania move and win the debate. And it goes on for so long, you forget the original point you started debating in the first fucking place. Can I get an amen? Earlier, I brought up Joshua Harris and his struggle to wrestle with the detrimental impact his book had on so many people. 
such that he pulled it from bookshelves and renounced it. A year or two later, after doing that, in July 2019, he and his wife would publicly announce on Instagram that they had decided to separate after 20 years of marriage. The next day, he wrote this. The information that was left out in our announcement is that I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there's a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now." Unquote. I believe that this is the pathway of growth for me, that, that I'm going to learn things in facing up to what I got wrong that, that I won't be able to learn any other way. I'm discovering that there's transformational power in admitting that you got something wrong. This is Harris again in that TEDx talk that he gave. I'm learning that evolution always involves death. You know, we talk about how we want to evolve personally. That, that sounds great, right? It sounds sophisticated. I mean, who doesn't want to become a smarter, stronger, more loving, compassionate version of themselves? We all want to evolve personally, but think about what evolution requires when you think about the evolution of a species over generations. There's a lot of death that takes place. The final thing that I'm learning is that admitting that you're wrong will tick some people off. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because there are people in your life who are invested in the old you. There are people in your life who want you to stay the same. Maybe because they just love you, love you the way they are, but also possibly because if you admit you're wrong and they agree with you, then by implication they are wrong and they don't want to deal with that. So they'd rather you just stay the way you are than have to face up to that themselves. I don't know where my faith journey will ultimately end up. I can tell you it's one of the hardest things I've gone through. As the faith I've had and loved for so long has evolved, I'm searching for truth, something that I can hang on to. And that has been a death to old ways of thinking. And in this journey, I've had lots of people pissed off at me, most notably Christian Trump supporters. And I'm as mad and upset at them. There are people who I thought I knew. And I'm sure in many ways, they probably think the same thing of me. But one of the things that gives me solace is that I'm not alone on this road. On the next episode of the show, we'll hear from other people I've interviewed this season. Christians who have been on their own deconstruction journeys. And theologians who offer some sage advice on how I can weather this storm. If you've been on your own journey of faith deconstruction, you won't want to miss this. And one person I talked to holds a unique distinction. Like in one person, you represent like two aspects of like this journey that I that I talk about in my book and talk about the podcast. Mm -hmm. Because I had a crush on you in the fifth grade way back when. So you're mm -hmm. like you were one of the little white girls that had a crush on. And mm -hmm. two, now as a pastor, that you had like this really cool outlook on Christianity and whatnot, which brings up this conversation I want to talk about with you today. In the next episode of the show, we meet the girl in the pink dress. If you've seen the Dungeons and Durax homepage, you know exactly who I'm talking about. That's next time on the Dungeons and Durax podcast. Somebody calls a burden bear. Somebody calls a heavy load tear. Somebody calls you a wheel in the middle of a wheel. But I'd like to call you the creator of all things right now. For you put a leaf on a limb and a limb on a branch. And the branch on a tree, and the tree on some roots, and the roots in the dirt, and the dirt in a hole, and the hole in the ground, and the green grass grew all around and around. It's like a thief in the night, so we walk by faith and not by sight, shit. It's unconditional, I give you. Pray for your daily, gotta always walk with you. The Dungeons & Durex podcast is a production of Blade Runner Media and Bonnie and Clyde Productions and is part of the Ebony Covering Black America podcast network. 
This episode was written, produced, and edited by yours truly. Special thanks to my Black BFFs and podcast peeps, JD and Yolanda Cochran. No relation to Johnny. JD creates and edits our social media audiograms. I also want to thank my brother Brandon, as well as the Dude Black, for coming on and sharing their stories. Music used in the show is licensed from Artlist and Creative Commons songs from freemusicarchive.org. All of the television, film, podcasts, and YouTube clips are copyrighted to their respective parties and used for education, critique, commentary, or satire. Check out our show notes for our statement on fair use. And if you like that prayer that opened the credits, we got that from the TikTok channel, Howl Be Thy Name. There'll be a link on the show notes. It's like a thief in the night, so we walk by faith and not by sight. And we can teach about equality, teach about honesty, teach about the past and everything you know what's gotta be. Teach about a friendship and teach about the haters, but they don't really matter because they only make you greater. Teach about racism, teach about the struggle, teach about equality and teach you how to hustle. Now, we have no budget for a fact checker on this show so take all this stuff said in this podcast with a grain of salt this show is mainly about entertainment and sharing our personal opinions wikipedia and google can only take you so far we encourage you to you know read books and shit but expand your knowledge if you like the show do all the podcasty things you know rate review share with your friends and family if you have your own story about dealing with faith deconstruction we'd love to hear it shoot us an email at podcast at dungeonsanddurags.com you can even send us a voicemail message on our website at dungeonsanddurags.com slash podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Ron Dawson and on Instagram at BlurredRonner. I write about race, religion, creative arts, and business on Medium at rondawson.medium.com. You can follow JD on Twitter at thatjdcochran and Yolanda is rat in a wheel with all the words separated by underscores. That's it for now. Stay safe out there and remember... Having white privilege is not bad, denying it is, and in the absence of biblical certainty, choose love. Hey, if you wait to the end, I want to thank you and just give you a quick heads up that you can now pre-order my book, Dungeons and Durex. There will be a link in the show notes to the Amazon page where you can pre-order it. Coming soon to a bookstore near you.